listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. The consensus among professional historians of the Civil War has long been to recognize that slavery was, as Abraham Lincoln said in his second inaugural address, somehow the cause of the conflict. But recognizing the centrality of slavery opens up new questions, especially with regard to the Upper South, where slaveholding was less common and secessionist spirit less strong in 1861. Why did states like North Carolina resist secession, then fight bravely and and resist reconstruction afterward? Professor William Barney at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill may have an answer. We'll talk to him today on Civil War Talk Radio. Everyone faces conflict at home, at work, in the community, in the world. Fix Your Conflicts is a show about how to fix those conflicts with practical tips and techniques. Doug Knoll brings to the Internet airwaves the first of its kind, a show that teaches peaceful resolution to life's daily battles. That's Fix Your Conflicts with Doug Knoll, broadcasting live every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific on World Talk Radio Studio A. Marissa, are you ready yet? I know you can hear me. You are not missing school again. Marissa! You trying to be a nobody or something? Let's go! Alright then. Hit it. I know you can hear this. Hey guys, move closer. Girl, I am not leaving. Hey, whatever it takes, don't let your friends drop out. A real friend can make all the difference. Cut that noise, yo! I'm coming! Took you long enough. Thanks for the help, guys. For more ways to help, go to OperationGraduation.com. A public service message from the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, on a very pleasant spring day in 2008, April 2008, near the end of the spring semester. Classes have just ended. These students are playing music loudly outside my office over at the marching band field across 10th Street. And uh, here within the office, a veritable firestorm of administrative trivia swirls around the acting chair's office that I occupy this, this term. Uh, one of the most curious things in, in academia that I've yet encountered is the uh, the phenomenon of the annual report and the evaluation of professors by their department chair, who is one of their colleagues. It always seemed sort of odd to be evaluated in that fashion, but this year, uh, as I'm serving as acting chair, it seems absolutely surreal that I'm writing evaluations of people many years senior to me, both here at ECU and in general practice in the field, and yet I'm 
saying what I think of them, and that will determine something somewhere down the line for them, hopefully nothing too severe. Um, I could relish the moment, I suppose, a chance to settle scores and do all kinds of things, but, but we don't run that kind of shop here, uh, or at least we're trying not to. And, and so far it's uh, hasn't been too traumatic, but it's not something I would I would wish on anyone else. Enough uh, academic trivia. A few quick announcements before we start. The legal disclaimer, as always, just because we're coming from East Carolina University doesn't mean the university knows that I'm doing this, and thus it is not responsible for anything said here. Uh, I don't speak for them. They don't speak for me. Uh, likewise, for our guest today, uh, neither uh, his place nor mine nor the general administration that we share uh, takes any responsibility for anything at any time. And uh, last announcement, the uh, Did Lincoln Own Slaves and Other Frequently Asked Questions About Abraham Lincoln World Tour continues as I keep speaking about the book in an effort to get every man, woman, and child in America to read this uh, account of the life of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, May 16th and 17th at the Bluegrass Book Festival in Lexington, Kentucky. I will be there. I've never been to an event like that. I'm curious to see what I'm supposed to do, but I'll... Look forward, hopefully, to meeting some Civil War talk radio listeners there. On uh, Thursday, June 19th, or maybe Friday, June 20th, they don't know yet, at the Filson Club in Louisville, Kentucky. I will be speaking there with some teachers and then do a program for the membership, uh, which hopefully will be open. And I'd like to, again, get a chance to meet some of you there. Wednesday, June 25th, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, the Civil War Institute a really wonderful midsummer program every year. It tends to sell out long in advance. Uh, I don't know if it's possible to get into it still, but this year they're having uh, a, a, all the usual suspects in the Lincoln Field are going to be there, dozens of us, and I will be on briefly Wednesday, June 25th, uh, speaking there. And then July 8th in Richmond, Virginia, uh, for a Teaching American History grant program. Not sure what I'll be doing there, but I'll keep you advised. So that's the busy summer ahead. Uh, I recently had to turn down a chance to do a park service uh, uh, collaboration with the Organization of American Historians uh, program for teachers at Lincoln sites like the Lincoln Birthplace, the Lincoln Boyhood Home, uh, the Lincoln Home in Springfield. Uh, it was too late notice. I had too many other commitments. But uh, there are going to be a lot of things going on in the next year as we get into the 200th anniversary of Lincoln's birth and uh, people like me will be eating the banquet rubber chicken uh, all around the country and, and talking about Abraham Lincoln uh, for months until that gravy train finally pulls out of the station. But uh, today we're talking not about Lincoln, but, but about a war uh, related to Abraham Lincoln, obviously. We're back to the Civil War. And our guest is Professor William L. Barney from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Bill, are you there? Yes, I am, Jerry. Wonderful. I'm so so glad we got together. We yeah. we were scheduled to go on last week or two weeks ago, and you know things yeah. happened. Historical amnesia for the absent minor profession took over. <laughs> but, uh, actually, I was getting a bit tired uh, there thinking of that full agenda you have in the coming months. You are to be commended for all your energy. Well, it, it's uh, it's a crazy thing. The the having the book out at the same time as, as I'm doing this administrative extra. That's right, double load. It is a double load. It, it's fun. I, I I don't mind it. Certainly, uh, I'd, I'd rather be too busy than not busy. But it is. Uh, 
Uh, it is uh, sometimes a little bit wearing, but but it's, it's fun to do. Now, uh, you and I, uh, you've certainly been busy. You, you have uh, a, a book out here that we'll be talking about momentarily. Uh, but you also, were you involved in, in organizing the conference where we met a few weeks ago? Uh, just a very minor role. Professor Glassar uh, assumed most of the responsibility for that, along with the administrative staff and Peace, War, and Defense. And thought they did a wonderful job. At least I hope those on the other end of the agenda thought so. Well, I do. It was a, uh, a marvelous conference. This took place March 29th at uh, Chapel Hill. And there were some of the, the well-known names in the field besides uh, Joseph Glathauer. There was uh, Gary Gallagher, uh, Joan Waugh, uh, Bill Barney, who we're talking to today, spoke there. Uh, a lot of interesting talks uh, about the Civil War. And what really struck me about it, Bill, was how many people attended uh, that event. Yeah, yeah and it's still... Uh so something that clearly uh, Americans, I think particularly uh, Southerners, think long and hard about and are still wrestling with. It, it, to have uh, on a rainy Saturday, you know, certainly must have been over 100 people. Uh, I think so, easily, yeah. Uh, easily. Uh, coming into a seminar that, that was not, I don't know if there was much local publicity. I assume there was certainly some, but it, uh, it drew people... Uh, and, and you couldn't do that with a seminar on the Industrial Revolution, or I don't think so. <laughs> You'd be begging for participants. You really would be. But the Civil War brings people in. Now, since you weren't here uh, a couple of weeks ago, last week I took the opportunity to say all kinds of scurrilous things about uh, UNC at, at Chapel Hill. Uh, since since we here at East Carolina. Uh, are constantly looking with envy at the budgets and uh, yes, okay. resources that you guys have. Uh, so, so I was talking some trash, but I, uh, all in good fun. I hope. Uh, okay. Back to you. Um, but seriously, there is uh, there certainly is room for collaboration, uh, uh, and and there was so much interest in the Civil War that there's no uh, no shortage of an audience to be divided up between any two two institutions. No, and that's uh, amazing. It, how? Let me ask you that. Do you, do you find that on uh, on campus that uh, Civil War classes uh, fill up uh, readily? Uh, yes. Uh, do teach a number of division course in the war in the immediate post-war period. Reconstruction always draws fairly, fairly well. Although perhaps I should point out that uh, the audience is uh, overwhelmingly white. Uh, Why do you think that is? The war does not resonate, at least with this generation of uh, African-American students. I think it did more so when I first started teaching it about 25, 30 years ago. What, what uh, has changed in the interim? I think uh, for reasons that I don't totally grasp, it might be, uh, might be the mass media and what they get of the war through uh, particularly movies, that they identify the war with uh, sort of an artifact of uh, the current uh, white cultural South, and uh, that sort of has neo-Confederate uh, tinges to it. But it's uh, it's uh, clearly one of the formative chapters in the history of African Americans and the history of the U.S., but it does not draw proportionally amongst African Americans anywhere near to the extent that it does uh, whites. And of those whites, I'd say it's fairly evenly balanced in terms of gender. Perhaps a slight preponderance of males, but um, nothing really, nothing really extraordinary. That, that's interesting. I'm, I'm trying to picture a classroom here at ECU in, in the same setting, and there are 
they're, they're probably a disproportionately small number of black students here as well in when I teach that course. Uh, not non-existent. Uh, now, perhaps some of it is sort of in framing. I would imagine if one were to title the course or advertise it with uh, framed around emancipation or black liberation, um, that might resonate more. But I think they simply identify a course of the Civil Wars or running through of all the battles that Whitey fought, and only Whitey is interested in today. Well, that's, that is interesting. I, uh, this is purely anecdotal now, but I can think yeah. of several times I've taught the course where African-American students were among the most vocal mm-hmm. in discussion. Yeah, now, on the other hand, those who do, mm-hmm. I remember a student I had, uh, I think two summers ago, in sort of a seminar version of my course in the Civil War, that he was absolutely fascinated by. There's so much that was more or less new to him, and particularly the linkage of uh, black military participation and demands for rights of citizenship, and... Uh, uh, almost from scratch, he put together a, a wonderful paper during the summer, and uh, I just wrote a letter of recommendation for him, uh, not because of this course per se, of course, but uh, we studying the history and international relations, and it's applying to graduate school. So, wonderful. Um, again, those who do take the course, um, again, are often amongst the, the best and most uh, committed students. I, I think that's true. I've noticed also a difference. Uh, I, I've had the opportunity to teach the course during the summer session, and that brings a whole different audience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I once had a student who, whose family had been sharecroppers for uh, land, on land owned by Governor Aycock's family going back many generations, and his perspective was, was quite interesting. I would uh, think so, to be sure. Especially as we got to Reconstruction, he could really... You know, literally tie these stories to people he knew. Uh, yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah. But uh, now I, I originally grew up in the Midwest and, and worked in a museum in Indiana for many years before coming to North Carolina. So I find every year I learn a lot new about uh, a new perspective on the war. Where, where are you from originally, or what, what is your? Int- where did you? Well, I'm uh, by no means uh, southern ethnically in terms of origin. I'm a product of the coal country of northeastern Pennsylvania. Uh. And I could probably credit why I loved to read in high school, and uh, well, a lot of it simply evolved out of uh, the wonderful histories of Bruce Catton. They were so yes. incredibly readable, and there's an awful lot coming out in the mid-1960s when I was in high school, given the centennial of the war. And uh, I had no particular uh, thoughts that I'd pursue it professionally, but uh, when I found myself in graduate school at Columbia and... I had a wide variety, of course. I said, boy, there's a heck, whole heck of a lot of this I really don't understand, but it's fascinating. And one thing led to another, and summer of 68, uh, my wife and I came south and started the research in my doctoral dissertation, and I've sort of been uh, committed ever since. Well, you were, David Donald wasn't at Columbia when you were there, was he? No, he had already left for uh, for Harvard. Okay. I uh, studied under Jim Shinnon, who was an absolutely wonderful teacher, and of course, individuals such as Richard Hofstetter and uh, Dick Morris, where there was a wonderful faculty to work with. Oh, really? Those are giants in the field. Yeah. Wow. So you 
became interested, you moved, moved south, went to graduate school. Have you, where, did, where have you taught? Uh, uh, my first teaching position was in uh, New Jersey, what then was known as Col- uh, Trenton State College, today known as College of New Jersey. A uh, wonderful teaching atmosphere, given the mix of the students. Uh, most of them were first were first generation college students. In fact, I put in there a Civil War Reconstruction course that uh, uh, always did very very well. It was a very very popular course up there. And fortunately, after three years at uh, then Trenton State, an opportunity to apply for a position then at UNC opened up. And of course, this is. Uh, this is the holy grail for Southern historians, given the magnificent uh, letters and diaries that one can research in the Southern historical collections. So uh, I jumped at the chance and was fortunate enough to uh, be offered it. And certainly have not, apart from the uh, summer heat, have not regretted it since. Yeah, well, it is a, it's a small price to pay because it really is a magnificent place yeah. to, uh, to work, to have access to those collections there. Well, that uh, speaking of diaries, I guess that's a good uh, entree to what I wanted to uh, chat with you about today. The the uh, book uh, just published by Oxford University Press called "The Making of a Confederate: Walter Lenore's Civil War." Yeah, which I gather is based. Uh, well, it is. I don't gather it having read it. Uh, it is based on a diary. Uh, uh, well, there's a very critical short wartime diary that Walter kept. And uh, which was again uh, critical to the, uh, I think, writing the narrative of uh, the chapter regarding his war service and wound. Uh, but in a larger context, uh, the Lenore family papers that were deposited at UNC in the early in the early 20th century. So that indeed made my point. A five-minute walk from my office was a magnificent collection that opened up all sorts of avenues, not just in the history of the Lenore family, but North Carolina itself from middle of the 18th century down to the early the early 20th century. And in terms of manuscripts, uh, I was able to supplement that with some additional sources uh, up at Duke. One of the one of the brothers had a small small collection there, but I would say probably nine tenths of the research uh, for it was again the availability of those documents in the Southern Historical Collection. Well, let's talk about this. Uh, first question I want to ask before anything else is: Walter Lenore related to the the family of Lenore County? Uh, is a name for his family? Uh, yeah, the Lenore family uh, name pops up uh, a lot uh, across the state. Uh, Lenore County in the east uh, probably would have been named after sort of the founder of the Lenore clan, General William Lenore, who was a Revolutionary War hero. And uh, he originally lived in the eastern part of the state after his father moved down from Brunswick County, Virginia. And then the uh, general, young William Lenore, Walter's grandfather, was one of the first settlers in the Atkin Valley region. Uh, shortly after he arrived, the revolution broke out and acquired fame and uh, renown, uh, given his role in the war, particularly at King's, King's Mountain. And uh, also started to uh, save the family family papers. So the Lenore family papers begin with uh, some material in the uh, 1760s and 70s. Then they carry on through Lenore's uh, sons and daughters. Uh, his grandson was uh, William Lenore, the subject of the biography. So here's this um, uh, this family then that, that gets started. Uh, 
Oh, clan. They were very, very powerful. They were one of probably uh, one of the three, four largest slaveholding families west of the Piedmont. Very, very powerful family. And the the uh, the, the patriarch then is this uh, Revolutionary War yeah. hero. General William Lenore, president of the first board of trustees of UNC, 1790s, it turns out. And he had uh, a number of children. Yeah. He had, oh, eight or nine. All the sons had difficulty in breaking away in that he was, uh, well, he imbibed the reality of patriarchy, the control, the dominance. And um, it took the sons a long time to establish their own identity, but even then they typically did so with assistance provided by, by the father. And the daughter is, with the exception of the one who played the traditional role of staying home and caring for her aging parents, uh, married into um, neighboring wealthy planter families in western North Carolina. Another branch was in Alabama with the Pickenses of Alabama. So one or two generations of this, and the Lenore family papers open up much of the history of the 19th century South. Cousins and correspondents in Alabama, Mississippi. Uh, one of William, one of the general's sons, uh, moved up to Missouri. Another son established basically the Klan in eastern Tennessee. So, uh, again, much of the history of the uh, pre-Civil War South simply flows through these papers. Well, Bill, we're going to take a short break right now. We're going to come back and explore uh, the story of one of those sons in particular, Walter Lenore. That'd be great. Okay. In his Civil War. So, uh, listeners, we'll be back in just a moment on Civil War Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. 